you out of that emotional trauma. I can't take you out of the situation. I can't make things reverse itself and everything be easy. But that's what I want to do. So I'm even more frustrated. Uh, I, I feel like I have to go to God. and Lord, please, please. I'm, I feel like a, a parent begging for a child. Lord, listen to us. Right. And as I begin to pray, can I tell you, the Holy Spirit came to me and it began to calm my spirit. And he reminded me of who we are as children of God. He reminded me that he's still the king, that he still sits upon the throne, and that he still has a plan and a purpose for all of us. <laughs> he reminded me that he is good and to remain faithful, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, to not waver, but to stand in the midst of all of this. None of that's easy, by the way. It's not easy when everything is hard. It's not easy when life just presents you difficulties, when everything is grinding against you emotionally and physically. So I, I begin to grab my Bible, and I begin to remind myself that morning of who God is and that we're not alone when we stand. Uh, I'm not alone. You're not alone. And I tell you, if, if the Bible is anything for you, it needs to be the place where you look for answers. It needs to be the place where you see the faithfulness of God in other people's circumstances and other people's difficulties. Because this morning, that's exactly what we're going to do because that's what God did for me. I'm really just sharing you my prayer morning. So when I say this thing is something that speaks to my own soul, that I'm preaching to myself this morning, that, I, that I, these are things that God began to pour out of me in my little morning time in prayer and I'm just sharing it with you. And the first thing I did was I turned to the book of Job. And if you want to turn there, you can. I'm not going to get a ton into it, but you're welcome to highlight a few things as we go through there. If you haven't read the book of Job, some would say it's all about suffering. I would argue about that, though. I would say it's all about knowing God because I think the entire Bible and every story in it is about knowing God. But there is something about suffering. There is something about difficulty and hardship that allows us to see God in a way like no other. We, we never like what we're living through. But on the other side is a perspective only gained through difficulty. And this is why we hold up others who've been through hardship. We, we look to others who've survived hardship. We look to others with high regard, like they have a greater reputation because they've survived something, because they were able to live, to make it through, to, 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 to somehow exist past it. And this is Job. This is the whole book of Job. In the beginning of Job, it opens up to one of the most unique conversations happening in the entire Bible. It is a very special chapter. Because in this book, in this very few first chapters, this is the only time that God and the devil speak in full conversation. And it is recorded and written so that you would know what was said. There's no other time outside of the devil coming to Jesus. This is an even bigger conversation, and it, it, it literally spans two chapters. It's huge. There is literally so much to cover, so I'm not going to get into the whole conversation, but it boils down to the devil doing exactly what you would think he would be doing. Uh, the Bible records he basically embraces the title accuser of the brethren. If you hadn't heard him that, basically it's saying that the devil is a tattletale. 
sit around watching you do bad things when you, know, you think nobody's watching and the devil goes back, see, look how awful they are. Can you fathom this? This is what he does. He just like, see, God, these are the ones you call yours. Look how awful they are. They think when no one's looking that they can do things. They think when no one's thinking, they think they can just think these things and these thoughts and nobody hears these things. And he walks around accusing, listing names to the Lord. Those first couple of chapters, it talks about it. And he's talking about all these people, right? And then there's this conversation that, that, that basically goes on about Job, right? But there are a lot of interesting things here. To me, you should be asking questions. How about this one? If the devil is so powerful, why didn't he just do what he wants? Why is he up there got to bring blame to everything? Why has he got to walk around accusing everybody else? Why don't you just do something then? What are you up there doing? Why are you having to have this conversation in the first place? The Bible records that God brought up the name of Job. The devil didn't. God brought that name up because the devil had already knew that Job had favor with God. And to those that have favor with God, who are in right standing with God, are protected by God's hand. Go read it. That's what it says. To which even the devil admits his weakness against the Lord's hands. He actually says, who can touch those who you have your hand upon? I, I would bring up Job. There's surely I could find some things about him. But what's the point? I'm not allowed to touch him. You have a hedge of protection around him, and I can't touch him. But I promise you this, he's no different than anyone else is what he's going on to say, that if you give him suffering and difficulty, he'll recant everything that he knows about you, because all humans do. To me, it's interesting how the devil's always painted through history as having so much power, and yet I see him stifled. By the fear of God in the Bible. I can't do some things because you are in control of those things. You forbid me and I can't. Doesn't sound so powerful. As a matter of fact, God is about to use the devil to draw out some things in Job as well as open his eyes in a few areas. In this way, the devil becomes what he's always been. Just another angel. Just another messenger. Now, don't get me wrong. He has power, but it's only permissive power. Right? Now, what, what I mean by that, I mean like in the sense that uh, Job, surely he wants to do something to Job. The devil wants to do something to Job, but he can't. He says, you know, you have this protection around him. I can't. He goes, well, you know what? I'm going to allow certain things, but hey, don't do this. Don't like take his life. Right now, you can do these things. Right? And then the devil goes off and, and, and does it. But he can only do what he seems to be allowed to do. Now, this changes the way we see in the new... If, if you really think about it, this changes now the way we, the we like to quote about the devil, which is the New Testament one that says, the devil goes about like a roaring lion, and we fail to like, we stop it like there's a period there. But it's actually a comma, and it says, seeking whom he may devour. Well, and you know what's funny about that? We think of the lion. We think of him going about looking for prey like he can just jump on whatever he wants to kill and kill it. But that's not what the scripture said. The scripture says, seeking whom he may devour. That's permissive. I mean, who God says, oh, all right, I'll allow this, but maybe not this far. I'll allow some of these things, but maybe not this. And in the end, the devil ends up being a tool for God's sovereignty. I mean, the whole, the whole picture is painted that the devil is used for God's sovereignty to carry out God's sovereign plan. 
The devil says Job is just another man that when afflicted and hard times comes, he'll doubt like the rest of humanity does. Sound familiar? You ever had your life where things are so difficult, you think, man, God, there's, I mean, why would God, if God's such a loving God, why would, why would I be experiencing such things? God allows the devil access into Job's life, but it has restrictions. Listen, there are two basically tests given to Job. And the first test is a family difficulty. And it's more than family difficulty. It's almost like devastation. To us, it looks like uh, uh, life, human enemies, and even a natural disaster. It looks like ordinary life is happening. Raids upon his employees, upon his animals, kills off all of them. And then possibly some kind of storm or lightning. It says fire from the heavens is what the Bible calls it. Killing all of his workers and even his own kids. Did he physically see God do anything? No, but all these things were allowed to happen. But yet Job doesn't sin. This is the first test. Rather, he mourns. He weeps. And he now says what I would say is a famous line among Christians. Naked I came into this world. Naked I will return. Job reminds himself that God gives us everything. That he has nothing without God. Is God any less great if he removes that which he has given? These are the questions we should be asking ourselves when we face difficulty, when we face trial. You know, the very thing that I say a lot to myself is a Spurgeon quote. And uh, when I find myself at a loss of things, whether it's physical things or relational things, I remember Spurgeon's quote who says, he that deserves nothing should be content with anything. He that deserves nothing should be content with anything. Now, the second test of Job is a personal difficulty. Verse 8 says, Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes with his mouth shut. Now let that image sink in. He had boils all over his skin. This disease had popped upon him and he had these boils all over him. And here he is. Try and understand the life of Job now. He has lost all his wealth. He has lost all his children. He, he now sits there with these boils all over his skin. He breaks pieces of pottery so that he has something sharp by which to scrape these things and pop these things as he's going down his skin. And he just sits there, even then, with his mouth shut. Now, this, is, this, this thing perplexes his wife, who at the sight of Job and literally looking at him, she's waiting for him to say something answer I mean come on say something she's ready for Job to just give up do whatever it takes she's tired of watching him suffer right and she she basically says listen do whatever it takes to stop all of this say whatever you need to say do whatever it takes curse God and die if you got me say whatever Job's response I love it should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad I'm not going to say that if I'm sitting there and I'm scraping boils off my skin, I hope I have the spirit with it to say this. But pain, it does have a way of breaking a man. 
and revealing sometimes the things inside of us that we wish weren't there. Pain often shows us, uh, it reveals the attributes of self-loathing, <laughs> our doubts in God, our lack of faith, our self-pity, our apathy, and a whole bunch more. By the time you're in chapter 3, if you look at verse 3, he says, Let the day of my birth be erased and the night I was conceived. I mean, from being this awesome individual that when his externally all these bad things happened, he was rooted. God brought me naked. I was taken in. I was in the world naked. I can, you know, we'll, we'll leave it, right? He's so, so stands so strong. But now that the affliction has come to his own body, he stood strong for a while. But by chapter 3, he's wishing he never was born. Have you ever wished that? I mean, have you ever thought that life and this world would have been better off without you? I know I have. Especially uh, while I was a teenager. I remember the struggles of depression as a teenager, of emotional insecurity as a teenager. I remember being young and in the Marine Corps and not understanding life and the difficulties and, and, and things and stuff that had happened to me. And I remember thinking, I've had these thoughts before of, man, I wish I would have never been born. Life would have been so much, there would be no life. I wouldn't have to worry about all of this. Maybe that's why I have such a heart for the younger generation. They're thrust out into this thing and they have no clue what they're doing. And then over and over, people are leaving them. Job laments at the thought of life without pain and without suffering. He dreams now of being in heaven. I mean, come on, that's the whole reason of not being born, man. Can we, can I just, if I wasn't born, I'd just already be in heaven. I, I'm, I, I would have never experienced anything here on earth, but that's okay. Right? Joe's friends do what we all do. We run to the aid of our friends. We want to say something comforting. We, and if we're not careful sometimes, sometimes we talk too much. Look at Job chapter 4. If you're in there, uh, Job's friend uh, uh, Eliphaz reminds Job of who he is, which is what I think all friends do in the beginning. And it would seem like a slap in the face or as if he's accusing Job of being hypocritical. Job 4, 3 through 6 says, In the past you've encouraged people, Job. You've, has, you've strengthened those that, who were weak. Your words have supported those who were falling. You encouraged those with shaky knees. But now when trouble strikes, you lose heart. You are terrified when it touches you? Doesn't your reverence for God give you confidence? Doesn't your life of integrity give you hope? And by the way, how we conduct ourselves in suffering, how we conduct ourselves in the way we live our life when hardships come and when trials and tribulations come, speaks volumes to those out there who do not understand the ways of God. So my truck breaks down. I've, now two of my vehicles are down while I need to go see somebody who's had a devastating loss, way more loss than I've experienced currently, right? Who I am hurting for because they're my friend. Do I now get down and out? Do I now start to use words like, oh, the, you know, the, the heck with all of this. I, this can all go away. I mean, I could sit there and cry and sit in self-loathing or self-apathy and all these things. Or I can build myself up in the faith of God. I can remind myself who God is. 
I can be, will I not be the very thing that I have been? Can I live it now when it's upon me? What his friend is trying to tell him is when everything was good for you and everything was bad for others, you spoke life into them. Where is that mouth now? It's not a bad thing. Now, that's where he should have stopped, but he at least started off good. It's as if uh, to remind Job that this is the moment that you're supposed to live, God, live for God. <laughs> More than any other moment in life, when it's difficult, when it's hard, when there's trouble, when there's trial, when there's tribulation, that is the moment that you live for God. And it's not too long after that, though, that he ends up saying, listen, you must have done something to earn it or lack of understanding on his friend's behalf of even knowing God whatsoever. Job's friends spend the rest of the time trying to convince Job that his sins have reaped this horrible dilemma all upon him. Good bunch of friends there. They started out so good. Chapter after chapter, literally, I'm not going to get into it, but it's chapter after chapter, basically just supposing their wisdom upon the situation. And the truth is that Job and his friends aren't, nor have they ever been privy to the heavenly conversation that is taking place between God and the devil. We know that in hindsight, right? But they have no clue. It showed up like a storm. It showed up like enemy raids. It showed up like that. They have no clue to the spiritual ramifications of what is happening between heaven and hell. They have no clue of the conversation that's taking place between the Father and our enemy. They cannot see the sovereignty of God in this moment. It's impossible. There is a greater purpose playing into this whole endeavor. And in the end, Satan is just going to be a pawn in the whole thing. He'll have been used by God to carry out the purpose of God. That's powerful, by the way. Wrap your mind about that. Pain and suffering and despair lead Job to question everything. Even to the point of challenging God's integrity and even his decision-making process. Anyone else ever question God's plan and purpose? Have you ever questioned God's plan and purpose for your life? Like you thought God was a flat-out liar? And you don't say that. Come on. God, I know you're not a liar, but maybe you got it wrong. And you know what you do in that moment? You make God human. And all of a sudden, you remove from him his power because humans don't have any. In that moment, you make God small so you can understand him. In that moment, your vision and your view is so tiny because you can't see the big picture. It's not for you to see. Your job is to trust. It's to trust. And in all of this, as he begins to question his integrity, as he begins to question his, his plan, as he begins to question his purpose, be happy that you haven't had this conversation because on the backside, when we fast forward through all these thoughts that Job has and all his friends talking to him and all the counseling that he received in the process. By the time we get to chapter 38, verse 3, God says something to him that would stand his hairs on end. He says this, Job, brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you have to answer them. Aren't you glad God doesn't talk to you like that? God, I got a question for you. How about I got a question for you? I'm good. I can already tell you, I don't know. You ever done that? You ever questioned God's plan? How many times has God done miraculous things in your life that you've actually given him credit for only 
only to turn around and question him when something doesn't go your way. <laughs> when hardship hits you and pain is too much, you just leave. You like check out. You know, we had this good thing happen to us this weekend, and praise be to God, he just did some great things in our life. Next weekend, something bad happened to you. Like, I don't even know where God is. He doesn't even show up in my life. He's never hardly there. Come on. Come on. Every time we hurt, every time I hurt, every, every time I hurt emotionally or, or physically, I start to wonder if, if there's, if I, am I off your plan, God? I start to have doubt. It's as if I kind of put this idea upon God that God's aim is to make sure I'm happy and in perfect health every second and every minute. The ugly truth that everyone knows is true, but for some reason acts like they don't know, is that when we live through a hardship, we have an insight into how much pain we actually can endure. We each, uh, with each season, we become a bit more experienced in the world of suffering. So that with every trial and with every task, we waver less and less. In the business world, we hire that. It's called experience. Time Magazine reported on a study that was done on people between the ages of 21 and 99 years of age. Those that were in their 20s and 30s reported having the highest levels of depression, anxiety, and stress along with the lowest levels of happiness, satisfaction, and well-being. Now, in contrast, while the older generation did struggle with some physical impairments, the mental aptitude was exactly the opposite. They found that the older people were able to brush off life's small little stressors due to accumulated wisdom, is what they called it. They were emotionally stable and compassionate because they had already lived through many difficulties and they were able to make smart social decisions which comes from being young and making dumb decisions and then paying the consequences for them so the younger generation is stressed out while the older generation is living carefree how funny why because they've already gone through it and they've lived to see the other side of it so that with every passing hardship with every passing trial and tribulation they learned what that they will live through it that time keeps moving and they will make it so that when the next trial comes up in their life they have a more hopeful more optimistic point of view because they've been there because there is purpose in pain not only do we become wiser but how we endure ultimately helps us inspire others. Today, there are many people we look to for inspiration to overcome all kinds. They've overcome all kinds of obstacles in life. If you want to see a few, I'm telling you, all you got to go down to is the local VA. Go down to the local VA there in Austin and just hang out in the lobby. Take a look at multiple generations of individuals who fought for this country, who've lost limbs, who've got all kinds of issues and everything else, but somehow still managed to make up a life for themselves. I posted a picture the other day on Facebook. I don't know if you saw the individual, but he was a man who had taken some shrapnel in World War II, who lost his eye, damaged his jaw, has now a speech kind of impediment because of it, went on to get married, have kids, and live a normal life, never once complaining about what had happened. Never saw himself as somebody that was impaired. 
Why? He overcame it. He made his way through it, right? These people have learned to live even, uh, I mean, you know, think of a lot of the people I see missing limbs. They've learned to live without an actual appendix of their body. And they don't complain. They're not griping about it. And maybe that seems like a bit far out there, right? Like an obvious extreme to some of you. Then maybe this will relate. When Joy and I were young and newly married, we were living in Washington State. And there was this young woman there uh, uh, in the mid-30s uh, that we attended church with. And now she was married. She had a couple kids. And she kind of kept quiet. And we, we didn't really talk to her much. We didn't know her that well. But uh, uh, Joy and I were eventually married there at the Assembly of God Church. And uh, it wasn't long before uh, or long after we got married that Joy was pregnant with our first child. And uh, it was going to be our first child. Uh, but you know what? It wasn't meant to be. God had a different plan. God had a different purpose. Uh, and there were some complications and Joy miscarried. And I can tell you, you probably never hear talk about it, but it devastated her. It was like this emotional roller coaster. She was so young, so young. But you know what helped her? That young woman with a couple of kids uh, uh, wrote to Joy a letter telling her about her experience with her miscarriage and her firstborn. And in Joy's suffering and emotional downpour, she found a kindred soul. This young woman's hardship and pain that she endured as a young married woman herself now would be a way to connect with my wife and help her through her hardship. There's a plan that God has in pain. There is a plan and a purpose for it. This lady was able to talk to my wife in a way that I could never. And tell me that's not God. And then all of a sudden I have to, I, have to, I mean, looking at that whole big picture and seeing how God played that whole thing out. There is purpose and pain, and how we endure it helps to inspire others. We are to be inspired by Job in his suffering. Whether we want to admit it or not, we're supposed to be inspired by him. In the end, what we really want is what Job eventually got, but nobody wants to take what it takes to get there. In Job 42, verses 1 through 6, Then Job replied to the Lord, this was his response after the culmination of his suffering. I know that you can do anything and that no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things that were far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you and you must answer them. I had only heard about you before this moment, right? It's what he says. But now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. That's a, that's a journey that can only be lived through. And here's the thing. Job didn't repent for being afflicted by the devil. He repented for his doubt. He repented for his lack of faith and trust in the Lord. His pain-induced words that begin to challenge and question God's will concerning all of it. It's what he repented for. And you know what the moral of all of this is? Is to trust God. Really, it's just to trust 
God, I, I, I begin to have somebody ask me some questions like, you know, what? We're, 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 you know, looking at, at, at there's people missing here and there and like, what are we going to do? Da, da, and, and it just sometimes, you know, uh, people don't realize it comes off to me. For me, it's like doubt, you know, like all I know is I'm supposed to trust God with what God told me to do. I'm, I, and my immediate response that came out of my mouth when somebody approached me like this, I said, listen, it's like, I said, it's like Saul. Saul was told by Samuel, wait to burn the offering. And when Saul got hesitant, and when Saul was like, a, man, that guy ain't never going to show up. God's not going to show up. We got to do this ourselves, Right? And what happens? He burns the offering. What does Samuel do? God rejects you now as a leader. At some point, what was the whole moral of that? Trust God. God will show up when it's time for him to show up. And he will not come a second sooner. I always, call, I always say everybody's like, God is an on-time God. Last minute on time, God, though. Always feels like that. God comes right when you need the miracle because any other way, you might be able to do it yourself. That's just truth. I told somebody, if I start doing all the things that I learned in the church to bring people in the door, will I have built the church or will God? Which church do you want to be a part of? The one that I built with my two hands or the one that God builds with his? Moral all of us, just trust God. Paul, same way. Paul endured a whole ministry of suffering because it had meaning. More than just suffering for the sake of the gospel message. It wasn't just about being persecuted because you were preaching the gospel, right? It was eventually be written and compiled together so that what? We all could draw strength from what? Paul's suffering. In Paul's suffering, you find a kindred soul. When Paul's lamenting about how I want to do right things, but for whatever reason, I struggle to do right things. When I, and and what, what happens? We read that and goes, thankfully, there's somebody else out there just like me. That's what we do. We get to pass that down. Just like Paul, our suffering, the pain, the things that we learn, our threshold, right? The things that we learn from, from trial and tribulation, we get to pass that down to the next generation so that when they come across trial and tribulation, we can help them walk through it. We don't get to rescue them from it, but we get to walk through it with them. It might just make it easier. It's strength. It's strength. It's overcoming strength to endure. Jesus endured a ministry of suffering so that we wouldn't have to taste an eternal death. There is purpose in the suffering. And here's the thing. It inspires hope. When we see you persevere, when we see you come out to the other side of hardship, when things are bad, you're emotionally exhausted. And we see you make it through. You inspire others to keep going. That God is good. And I'm going to tell you, maybe the greatest evangelistic work of your life is to endure. Is to endure through it all. While holding fast your faith in the Lord. It might be the greatest evangelistic work of your life. It was for Jesus. He endured to the end. I mean, even to the end, it is finished. Awesome. You know what that means? I saw it done. I accomplished that which I set out to accomplish.
It's done, right? So that when he was resurrected, it was just a big party to see Jesus. It's just a big party to see him. That's why we celebrate every April his resurrection. He saw it finished. It was done. Victory is ours. We stand in it. We live in it. Nobody promised it was going to be easy afterwards. It's not easy for any of the apostles. But how we endure ultimately tells others about us. They will know us by our, by our love for one another because we endure. Hard month, man. Lots of hardship, lots of stuff going on with everybody's families. Some harder than others. But either way, how we walk in that moment says everything about how we view God and how we are living our life. Let's bring the worship back up. I want to worship God this morning as we get ready to sing some of these songs. I, I want our hearts to be with those that we know are hurting. My heart is with the Mourns this morning. Has been all week. I, I, uh, they are, Mark has had to face something that everybody faces at some point in time. and It is not easy. And then having his whole family, at least his whole family is right there with him. And you know what this family can do? We can continue to pray for him. And we can be with him spiritually. If y'all want to send a card, that would be awesome. If you want me to deliver it, be happy to. Uh, pretty sure he's not taking just a ton of phone calls, but he will shoot a text. Um, be praying for them. We all need to be praying for them. Let's worship the Lord.